chapter 4. We didn't get through all the way through chapter 4 last week. We got time enough, I think, to finish it this week. Uh, just about right. What time we have left, I hope, anyway. I should I already get back myself in a corner when I say those things. Jeremiah chapter 4, we left off at verse 18. One of the things we remarked about this chapter and the book of Jeremiah as, as a whole is the frequent references to the heart and the issues that the Lord Jehovah had with his people. In particular, that they were practicing their, if you want to say it, Jewish religion in an outward manner with no regard to how they were on the inside. And so Jeremiah makes a frequent and constant appeal to the heart of the people and their relationship with the Lord. And so we see in verse 18, when we ended up this last section here, he said, Thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. This is thy wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reaches unto thine heart. And beginning in verse 19, Jeremiah then begins, uh, it's, it's a new paragraph, uh, which, as you're well aware, is not always evident in the King James Version, because it's just laid out strictly verse by verse. But he says, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet and the alarm of war. And so Jeremiah is pained very deeply in his heart because in his mind, in his heart, he can hear the sound of war. It's just right around the corner, about to happen. And he says, Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? And you remember we mentioned about the standard or the banner, which was a signal to all the people, a warning. Of course, they had various banners that they could raise that would signal the people for various things. One of those would be a warning that enemy is approaching. And that's what he's having reference to here. How long am I going to have to view this banner? How long will I have to hear the sound of the trumpet warning about the impending destructions that, that is about to come upon my people and upon my land and upon my city of Jerusalem? He was very deeply pained about that. And of course... Jeremiah himself being the weeping prophet, we have even see here expressed the very tenderness of Jeremiah and the deep emotion that he had over these things that God had revealed to him and shown him about the coming invasion. In verse 22, he says, For my people is foolish, and they have not known me. Now that's a, that's a phrase you need to hang on to. Because here they were, it's not like he's talking about pagans. It's not like he's talking about people who have never heard about God or known about the Lord Jesus or Jehovah. They had known. They knew who he was. They understood he was the God of Israel. They knew that he was the one who brought them out of Egypt. 
who set their foot on dry ground, who led them through the wilderness, who led them into the promised land, that land that was flowing with milk and honey. And yet they had departed from the Lord. He said, they don't know me. And it's really not a lot different than it is today. I think Alan, the other Alan here, expressed it earlier. A lot of folks are Baptist in name only, but you know what? They're Nazarenes in name only, they're Presbyterians in name only, Episcopals in name only, and anything else we want to talk about, it's in name only. Because their heart is not right before the Lord. Now those are sweeping terms I'm using here. I'm not talking about every single individual. Just as Jeremiah uses sweeping terms to talk about the nation of Israel when he says it's completely spoiled. As a matter of fact, over in chapter 5, he says, I sought for a righteous man and couldn't find a one. Now, you might stop and think, well, what about Jeremiah? He was a righteous man. He didn't mean every single last person in Israel. There were some, some, but very few, just a few. All the nation as a whole, as we would say it today, had gone down the tubes. And God's wrath was about to be poured out. Now, you don't have to go very far in the New Testament to find the same kind of language being used and the same kind of teaching. In particular, all you would have to go do is go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, concerning the church at Laodicea, and find God's description of what the church is like today. And you would simply say, yep, it's gone down the tubes. Judgment is coming. And yet you have people today doing just as the false prophets did in Jeremiah's day, saying, wait a minute. This is God's city. This is God's land. He's not going to do that to us. And people today are saying, well, wait a minute, we're saved. God's not going to judge us like that. God's not going to pronounce negative judgment on us. But what a, what a surprise is coming at the judgment seat of Christ when they stand before him and he begins to expound his word and here, here we said in, in the first four chapters here in Jeremiah, we said Jeremiah uses some broad sweeping words to describe. But I'll tell you, in chapter 5, he gets down to the nitty-gritty and he starts naming things. At the judgment seat of Christ, and again, Jerry mentioned this one, every idle word is going to come forth. No stone will be left unturned. Everything's going to be brought to light in the light of his judgment. And so to walk a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord and not just fulfilling the outward do-gooders. You know, the, well, praise the Lord. Well, amen, brother. Well, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. You know, and use all the Christian lingo that we toss about 
in a very, you know, righteous, self-righteous, spiritual manner, and all the time our heart doesn't express what our lips have just proclaimed. And boy, did we have a Sunday school lesson today about the lips and the sacrifice of praise. And trust me, all that comes from the heart. So Jeremiah was broken over that. His heart was rent or torn because of what he saw coming upon his people. And he said they're foolish. Most, a lot, almost every other translation says they're stupid. <laughs> they're silly. For they are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. And that phrase, none understanding, just means they don't have the ability to, to discern. They've lost it. And now in verses 23, 24, 25, 26, you see four times he says, I beheld, I beheld, I beheld, I beheld. In the first instance, he beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and, and void in the heavens, and they had no light. Now, of course, I think you're well, well versed enough to know that phrase right there, without form and void, is exactly the same verse or, or phrase that you have in Genesis. That the earth became without form and without void. That is, it was empty. There was nothing of value. There was nothing to appeal to any man upon the earth because it had been thrust into destruction and ruin. It was without form and void. And as Jeremiah is looking forward at this impending invasion, that's how he's viewing it. It's just as if Jeremiah said, what this invasion is going to do, it's going to bring us right back to this situation right here. But most believe, and I don't see any reason why we shouldn't, is to say that Jeremiah is also looking far forward to another day, namely the tribulation in which this same set of circumstances will occur. Right before... It's the final act right before the Lord Jesus returns and brings about all the monumental changes that will occur upon the earth and, re and fulfill all these promises that God has given to Israel concerning what's about to happen. That's why he says here on several occasions, and we'll see it even here in this chapter, he says, I'm going to bring this destruction, but not completely, not entirely. And he lets them know there's a coming day. When the richness and fullness of this land will be restored to such an extent that you cannot even imagine today what it's going to be like. But wow, you better watch what's coming tomorrow. Because Babylon is coming from the north. Like a boiling pot, remember, spilled out towards the south, coming from the north. And just like that boiling water being poured out, it's, it's going to have its destruction, its heyday. 
In verse 24, I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. Well, was that the physical mountains? Well, could be. I would tend to think that it's like mountains in Daniel. Daniel's vision of the of mountains on a mountain was of a kingdom or kingdoms. And this is, represents the nations around Judah. They trembled as well because of what was about to happen. And in verse 25, I beheld and lo, there was no man and all the birds of the heaven were fled. And lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness. That's Israel, Judah. And all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. That's what's going to happen when the Lord returns to slay the enemies who have risen up against Israel at the end of the tribulation period. And you read the book of Revelation and the, the, the wholesale slaughter and destruction and death that are going to occur upon this earth is beyond imagination. And you, wouldn't, you would say, if you, I'm looking ahead now, of course, speaking proleptically as if we were already there, it's happened. You would look at that and say, if I hadn't have seen it with my own eyes, I would never have believed it. What destruction is going to come? Well, Jeremiah is building a, a bleak picture for all of Judah as to what's about to happen to them. And yet, in spite of that, they didn't listen. And they just turned away, spurned Jeremiah's word, which is to spurn God's word that he brought to them. Boy, it's a scary thing. Verse 27, For thus hath the Lord said, The whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. And this is not the only time he says this. And his repeated, repeated claims about the coming destruction, occasionally he will continually remind the people but I'm not going to make a full end. I'm not going to bring Babylon down to totally and completely wipe you out and destroy you such that you will be a nation no longer. I'm not going to go that far because God has future plans for that nation. And so in verse 28, For this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black because I have spoken it, I have purposed it, and will not repent neither will I turn back from it. And this is one of those occasions that when God has made up his mind, then there's no changing it. It's going to happen. In verse 29, The whole city shall flee for the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen, and they shall go into thickets and climb upon the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken, and not a man shall dwell therein. Even the fortified cities. I mean, they're going to run for cover. You know, they used to, I've heard stories told about the, uh, the, these humongous armies marching in unison and the ground just trembling as they approached the cities. And people would flee in terror and fear, looking for a safe place to hide. 
now in verses 30 and 31, he says, When thou art spoiled or ruined, what will you do? Though thou clothest, get it, clothest thyself with crimson, though thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, though thou rentest thy face with painting in vain, shalt thou make thyself fair, thy lovers will despise thee, they will seek thy face. Now, you have to see here that, though, look, uh, well, first of all, he says, though you dressed in crimson and you deck yourself with ornaments of gold. Now think about how brightly colored that would be. Bright red, ornaments of gold. In other words, you're just continuing right on doing what you were doing. And when the enemy comes, you're going to dress yourself up this way in order to try to appease the very ones that you've been bowing down to, committing your idolatry with, and yet you're still, in spite of the fact that I am sending them to you for destruction because of my wrath and my anger against you, and yet you're still going to use that same method to try to appease those lovers of yours. As a matter of fact, you know, he says, you paint your eyes. You enlarge them. It says, he says there, thou rentest thy face with painting. Now, the word rent there means to tear apart or to split. And it's, it's in, in this case, it's on the face. It has the idea of, you know, painting your eyes around here darker to make your eyes look big. I mean, don't we see that today? Isn't that how many, many women in the Western world, they paint dark circles around their eyes to make their eyes look larger? For what purpose? Seduction. Israel, in the face of her enemy, is still trying to seduce them. And then he says, you're going to seduce your lovers. You want to entice them with a painted face. That is, eyes made up to be a seductress. And he says there, at the end of that verse, he says, In vain shalt thou make thyself fair. It's not going to work. Thy lovers. Now, this is not the normal word for... Someone, speaking of, a, of a harlots and prostitutes, this is a word that speaks about their lust and their desire for the idolatry of the Babylonians and the pagan nations around them. It's a different word than you see translated lovers in other contexts. And the point, matter of fact, it's only used here and, and um, it's used in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The only place you'll find this word used. But what he's having reference here to is not just the physical sexual immorality that was going on, which always does with idolatry, but he was talking about the spiritual fornication 
and adultery that was taking place in the hearts of the Judahites. And so, because of what was happening, because of this idolatry, because of what they're giving themselves over to the Baals and so forth, God is bringing judgment upon them, and here comes judgment coming, and what's Israel doing? What's Judah doing? They're still using the same methods, still trying to seduce them, still trying to appease. All the while, God's bringing judgment. But he says, it's not going to work. You make yourself fair in vain. That word lovers there means to breathe after. You can just think of a panting dog seeking after a mate. It means literally to lust after, to so desire. And he's talking about the idolatry of the nations around Israel. It wasn't just the fact that they were being physically immoral or sexually immoral. And so he concludes by saying, For I have heard a voice as of a woman in travail, and the anguish as of her that bringeth forth her first child. Well, I've never had any children, but I've always heard the first one's the most painful I don't know how in the world it could get any easier after the first one. They all sound like they'd be painful to me. But God's God's description here through Jeremiah is the pain that's going to come upon you will be like that of a woman having her first child. And the voice of the daughter of Zion that bewaileth herself, that spreadeth her hands, saying, Woe is me now, for my soul is wearied because of murderers. In other words, we're backed into the corner. We see it's going to happen, and there's no place to go. And they're going to suffer that destruction. Now, Jeremiah ends this whole section here, as we said, painting this thing in broad, sweeping terms about what's going to happen to Israel, bringing the charges against her for what she has done. But beginning in chapter 5, which we won't, obviously won't take up this week, but he begins to mention the specifics. It's a detailed charge against Israel. It's like it was in a courtroom, and he's laying them out one by one. Here it is. We'll look at those more in the future. My lesson, what I think we should see, what I get from all of this today, and I think what Jeremiah wants everyone to understand, not just Israel, and what God has for us is there is a judgment coming. It begins at the house of God, according to the book of Hebrews, and we have to be prepared for it. And to simply go through the motions, as we've said it, and I don't know how to do this any other way, week after week, I've mentioned this, concerning what Jeremiah's message was. But he's, you know, Jeremiah's got 52 chapters here that talk about the coming judgment. That talk about the condition of Israel's heart, Judah's heart in particular, and what was about to come. But you know what? If they would repent, 
if they would turn back to the Lord, then he would stay his hand and he would turn. You know, that's all we have to do. That's all we have to do. And the scriptures make it so plain, so clear, that if we confess our sins, you probably often heard that word confess means to agree with God concerning my sin and put it before him and turn from it, then he will cleanse us of it. Matter of fact, he will cleanse us then from all of our unrighteousness. And that is our grand opportunity at that point to begin a walk with the Lord that is well-pleasing unto him. And you can do that on an everyday basis. Every day for the rest of your life, you can do that. I didn't say you'll never sin the rest of your life. I said you can walk with the Lord the rest of your life. And what a great thing that would be. What a choice thing that would be to be able to meet the Lord at his judgment seat, knowing that when you do, you were walking with him. It's just like the Hebrew, the Hebrew writer expressed it when he says, these all died in faith. They all died walking with the Lord. That's how I want to die. I don't want to die as many of these did because they refused to turn and acknowledge the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do count it a privilege to serve you. We do take to heart those warnings that you have imparted to us. And we know that these here were written to Israel, but you've given plenty of them to us in the New Testament as well. And these apply to us. In that, your judgment is the same. It doesn't change from God's people in the Old Testament to God's people in the New Testament. And so I pray, Father, that we would take these things to heart, that we would walk in obedience. Lord, I pray for this uh, report that Alan has given concerning all the distribution of 49,000 Bibles on the island of Neas and those just off the island of Neas. And how I pray that your, your word the seed would take root in the hearts of your people and that they would come to know Christ, that they would believe the gospel and that we would see young men and women that would surrender their lives to serve in such an area and give themselves over wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly to a people who desperately need help and want someone to come and teach them. Oh, but for a lack of a teacher, and your people would have no knowledge. So I pray, God, that you will fulfill these things, uh, knowing that the, the field there is white unto harvest. Now bless us as we dismiss today, and may we walk from here having been touched by your word and your spirit and convicted about the things that we need to do individually, each one of us, to make sure we're walking right before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.